You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Raj Jampa. He is a very influential technology leader with 15 plus years experience in leveraging technology to drive organizational growth, performance and profitability. With an established track record of building and managing global IT organizations, he expertly oversees large-scale IT projects, networks, and infrastructure, from initial planning and development to implementation and enhancements. Raj is a proven leader, adept at building and motivating diverse technical teams to achieve outstanding results and complete projects within budget. Hello, Raj, and welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I'm glad I'm here. It's our pleasure. It's our, our pleasure. Our pleasure, you. our pleasure. Would you like to add uh, anything more about yourself? Uh, well, I think the only piece that's missing uh, uh, on that is uh, I, I like to identify myself as a father first, uh, husband, and then uh, a technologist. Okay. okay. Which is really good. Like, don't let technology be ahead of your family. It's a good yeah. idea. It's a smart way. We have a happy wife and a happy children. <laughs> and happy children. <laughs> Agreed. Okay, so let's dive right in. Um, would you like to share with us what uh, you believe to be the biggest leadership success story that you have witnessed personally? So I think the uh, personally for me the biggest uh, success story that I uh, witnessed. Um, so being in Silicon Valley, I was uh, part of a uh, startup at a very early stages. Uh, I was um, I was playing more of an advisory role uh, in in the initial days uh, to kickstart a startup, and the the idea of the startup was to have a service platform, right, an aggregator okay. of all kinds of services. Uh, and uh, the idea was quite crystal clear in our heads, me and uh, the, uh, the founders of the company. And uh, we started to build the uh, prototype where we were trying to build this aggregator of all kinds of services like, you know, uh, movie industry tickets or event tickets, uh, parking and all that to be in a single platform rather than going into different platforms. And uh, I had the uh, privilege to uh, sit in front of an investor uh, when we went to go pitch. So I actually pitched to the investor group. And um, when we finished our entire deck and the pitch, the, the feedback that we received was that, um, you know, hey, you guys are trying to do a lot of things. You know, why don't you scale it down and try to master one service and then gamify it, right? And uh, I remember we walked out of that uh, VC office, uh, sat in a, uh, in a coffee shop, and uh, the first reaction uh, you know, was, oh, he doesn't get it. The VC didn't understand our vision, right? But then again, like, you know, uh, when we really uh, started to think about it, and this is quite important for, for everybody I feel, is that you know, never discount any feedback. Right. There's there are two ways of taking a feedback. One is to say, oh, this person didn't, does not understand my vision, or maybe I didn't do a good job explaining myself, or or, or is like, let me hear what what the person is trying to tell us. Right. So uh, when we sat down in the coffee shop and started, to, first initial reaction was the person doesn't get it, but then then we started to realize, you know, that makes a solid point. 
maybe we need to first really showcase that this uh, platform approach works for one service, expand on that service, and then once we have the customer base, we have the trust from the end users, we are able to showcase the revenue, it's going to only get easier to scale up from there. And that was for me the biggest lesson is that, you know, have your uh, mastery of prototype. If you master your prototype, then it's easy to scale up. Don't try to scale up and try to master at the same time. It's like, you know, do one thing, master it, scale up after that. And you'll see this in, in a lot of these companies like, you know, Airbnb, for example, they just did one thing. It's like, you know, sell our couch, sell a room to, to uh, um, people. But later on, now when you go to Airbnb, they're doing more than that, right? They're adding services around that. They're now saying that, you know, if you're visiting San Francisco and you're staying in this house, by the way, let me show you some attractions around this place. Maybe you want to connect to this, uh, you know, yes. this cruise line that goes off of San Francisco. We can connect you to that vendor and all that. So, but their first thing was to master uh, getting customers onto their base. So that, that was my biggest lesson learned is like, you know, don't try to scale up first, try to master your prototype and then scale up. So Raj, would you say like, as a leader, it's really important to have focus on what you want to do and Absolutely. Be, be able just to stick with, <laughs> with what you're focusing and make sure it's not, you're not trying to eat the whole elephant at once, just piece by piece. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's quite critical. And, and you know, when we did that, we, uh, this company did exactly that. And uh, the revenue of this company grew from a few hundred thousand to close to 40 million a year. Right. And they oh, were able fast. to scale up and have multiple uh, services as well. So uh, that's a great story personally that I was uh, part of that I saw and I learned a lot from that. So how fast did, did the company grow? Was it like uh, one it took year about or? two years, ah, two, two years, years to scale up to that level? Yes. Ah, fast. That, that's really fast. Yeah. A fast scale up. Yeah, I, I guess like the people involved, including you, were really smart because usually people don't learn that fast. Like from one sitting, you get a, a remark like maybe you should focus on something smaller and do it. But the fact that you took the time to analyze it and see, okay, maybe there's something to it. Um, let's think about it and say like, yeah, this guy is right. Let's do it like he said. Like most people want, I for one <laughs> am guilty <laughs> of this. I, I get like, I have to get like two, three, four, five, even 10 messages, the same kind of messages to say, oh, maybe there's something to it. Before you get right, that. right. You always try to see the trend, right? There's, there's a theme to message and then you go from there. Yeah, no, it's it's important to remember that feedback isn't personal, but also as, a, as the one that has to dish out the feedback or constructive criticism, as people call yeah. it, uh, you have to make sure that the, the, the recipient understands that it's not, it's not uh, personal. And I've seen different techniques from different, uh, different sides of the tables. Like developers, the way they do it, when they have to give bad news, they give the sandwich. So you get some good, yes. yeah, good news uh, at bad the beginning, news. good news at the end, and, and bad news in the middle. The real message is in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a different approach depending on what side of the table you're negotiating from. That's right. Okay. And uh, 
since you had such a such a good success story, I'm guessing you'll have a equally awesome failure, leadership failure story. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I don't think anybody uh, would be successful if they don't have failure stories, right? Yeah, um, so uh, this is back in uh, I would say mid two thousands. Uh, I was working for this uh, company, uh, a large consulting firm, Bearing Point, which, uh, which later got consumed by uh, Deloitte. Um, and uh, one of the major problems or, uh, back then for that consulting firm was, you know, there are a lot of consultants who are flying out and every single week uh, they're staying in different, different parts of the world and coming back and submitting their expenses. The expense management uh, was a uh, problem that the company wanted to solve in a very efficient way. So uh, it doesn't take up too much time for the uh, employees to submit their expenses, right? And um, when I started working on that project, the first question that, uh, uh, that I had was, why are we trying to reinvent the wheel? Why can't we just like, you know, get an out-of-the-box uh, solution uh, yes. from SAP or something and just use that? Why are we building that? Right, but it was this initiative by uh, the leader back then who uh, had a who had an architecture in mind. It was a disconnected architecture. It was kind of like uh, you know you see the FedEx trucks. They come and uh, give you the uh, package and they scan it. And the moment they take that uh, the scanner back to their vehicle and plug it back in, the status of the order gets updated. So okay. it, it's, it's called the disconnected architecture. And we wanted to implement something similar to that where you could be in a flight with no VPN, no internet, and just like, you know, as long as you're able to scan your expenses and the moment you connect to your VPN or to your company network, all of that gets uh, reconciled, right? Or gets submitted. Great concept at a high level. Uh, but then again, my question still stood up It's like, why are we trying to reinvent the wheel? Oh, right? yeah. uh, and uh, we spent nine, uh, nine months on that project just to make this architecture, which was not vetted out completely. It was just a concept. And I always say concepts or ideas are cheap, right? Yes. Uh, because it's just an idea. The actual implementation, uh, the entire end-to-end -end demonstration of, a, of an idea or an architecture is quite important. If you don't have that, it's, it's quite premature to jump in to start implementing something. So, and I feel like that was the exact problem that, uh, that we uh, committed at that point. The, the mistake that we committed at that point was the leader had an idea and he wanted to explore on that. And we had a team of 60 members working on this expense management tool. And uh, my role in that was, uh, I was leading the data, uh, data team. So all the data integrations uh, that were happening and there was this replication that was supposed to be built in the background, which, uh, which <laughs> yeah, which was quite difficult to, to implement. But uh, so there were two major failures. One was the fact that the idea was not completely vetted out. The architecture was not end to end and we uh, went into the implementation straight. And the second piece was uh, it was poor communication and poor leadership, uh, right? And it was more about the fact that uh, the timeline uh, commit, committed to the higher, uh, higher ups in the company was way premature. It wasn't really discussed with the team. I always feel like the, 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 the timeline has to be discussed with the team and not just like yes. you know, somebody who has 
no idea what the uh, the teams are, uh, what effort the team will uh, need to provide the deliverable, and coming to a date was quite aggressive. So what ended up happening was a burnout, Classic. right? So I was working until two a.m. every single day from the office. Back then, I wasn't married, so it was easy. I could mm. stay in the office till two in the morning, and you then the, have to share your then, life with anyone. <laughs> Right. And Just then the, the worst part was we were expected to be in the office by 8.30 in the morning only because we had to address the issues for the end users with every single release. So uh, all in all, it was, uh, there was major burnout rate and a lot of people left the project, left the company. Uh, and uh, I left after a point, uh, I found uh, Silicon Valley was calling me at that point. So I left. Uh, but the end result was that was never implemented, and uh, you know we went to the to a tool that's uh, we went to an implementation that was straight out of the box. So my <laughs> lesson learned out of that was like you know uh, uh, for for effective project management, uh, it's quite important for a leader to be able to build out the entire end-to-end -end, uh, architecture, not just go off of based off an idea. And then the second piece is that, uh, like, you know, defining, working very closely with the group to be able to define the real timeline, set the expectations, not just by uh, thinking what's in, in your head, but set the expectation based on the conversation and the communication with the rest of the group to understand what does it really take to make this vision into reality and then come it up, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and I like how your stories actually. They're like different sides of the same coin because yeah. both of them, if you focus enough on what you want, you also need clarity to be able to do all the steps and realize like I have to, to make this, this successful. I have to reduce the scope and focus and really know exactly what I have to do at each moment to be able to quantify and exactly see the timelines and everything and the resources that are needed. And it just, it just works. One thing right. that I'm really curious about, Raj, is did the employees using the system, did they enjoy the, the, the mechanism of inputting data like <laughs> in flight? No, I mean, the, the communication around the, the rollout of the tool was quite uh, exciting, but you know, when you're promised the moon and what you get is completely different, uh, the experience yes. definitely has a big toll on it, right? So uh, when the communications were sent out, it was like, you're about to open this new application, which is going to solve all your problems when it comes to expense management, <laughs> right? But when it started to work, it was, oh, sorry, you had this problem, redo it, redo it, right? So uh, the experience was not uh, living up to the communication that was uh, sent out. So. Yeah, the, the, uh, and the, there's a reason why we had to go with a different solution at that point, right? Well, I was just curious because I was thinking like an easy way to, to test it would have been like, you can do it like with emails because they, you can create the email, scan everything, and they can send when you have internet. And you could have like a yep. person receive the emails and do all the job and see like test like the concept of doing everything async basically. That, that was the whole idea to do the whole... Right. <laughs> Right. The whole work async and it would have been like an easy 
dirty but effective way of testing if if people actually want that stuff to have it async if not well, out of the box it goes because it's easier it would, right. it would have been even faster to ask the people if they want something like this i tend to see this happening in a lot of uh, uh, businesses and not just in the corporate world um uh, they tend to distrust people. I, I've had this issue as a developer uh, when I got assigned tickets and said, I want you to do it like this and uh, this specifically. I tell you, listen, you, you basically want me to make it stupid proof? And he said, yes, yeah, but this is not what it means to be stupid proof. You're forcing the user to, to adapt to what you, to bend to your will. It will not work. Like trust yeah. your people, okay? Do the right. instructions. Yeah, trust your user. Do the instructional video. Yeah. Answer questions, and you know if they can. They're right. professionals. Exactly, and I, and I feel like the the one of the things that that's quite important, right? And uh, and when you're leading a project, is to be able to adapt, right? Yes. Uh, and it's okay to raise your hand and say that you know, oh, I thought of this. It it doesn't work and be open to uh, different ideas that come from, from, from various sides of the team. So yes, that is quite true that, you know, we, we have to adapt as the project takes off and learn from it. And then the, the other crucial part is to be able to stand up to your higher ups and uh, own a mistake. Yeah. yeah, but you also need to have higher ups that allow for people to speak up and they don't take like exactly. bring the punishment of the gods when somebody rises <laughs> up because then nobody's gonna do it ever again like you one example is enough to shut it's, any initiative off it's it's the same thing with 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 uh with fire ups and i've seen this in practice uh if somebody gets an idea like this week he ferments it a little and then brings it up in the weekly meeting where twice a month meeting and people bring out uh, problems with the idea no harm no foul but if somebody's been thinking about it for three months or four months they will not accept any criticism they'll be dead set on it so again right. it goes back to what you said it uh, communication has to be has to flow freely and in a timely fashion because the more people focus on something they, they become like horses with blinders on they can only see in one direction, right? Which uh, it's always disastrous. Okay, let's move on to philosophy. Can sure. you share with us uh, what uh, uh, it is that uh, what's your uh, leadership philosophy? I I think for me alignment uh, is uh, quite critical for a team success, right? Uh, and uh, personally, I like to define when I'm working in a team setting, I like to define the what and the why. Okay. And I work with the group to define the how, right? And, and, and it helps because I personally had experience where I worked under leaders where I was told what to do and how to do. And I felt oh quite God. useless at that point, right? Uh, and then, uh, we always tend to hire the uh, subject matter experts so that they can tell us how to implement a solution, right? That's the idea. And uh, being, on the, being on the leadership side, it's quite important to be able to tell, a, tell the team and to be able to communicate and uh, draw the picture of what needs to be done and then 
work with the group to be able to define how it needs to be done, right? Uh, and then, and then I feel that's a big gap in, in a lot of teams I've seen where the leaders uh, also get into the weeds where they start talking about how the solution should be implemented. Don't do X, Y, Z, do it this way. Right. And, um, you know, it goes directly impacts the trust. You, you must have heard this a lot where they say, you know, uh, trust is quite important for it uh, within a team. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And how do you build trust? This it's not it's not something that you could physically do. Building trust is clearly on on uh, decisions like this, where, where where the leaders are able to define what needs to be done and let the team decide on how it needs to be done. Give them the give the team the the subject matter expert the uh, the authority the ownership to be able to think and come up with a solution that gives that builds the trust in a bi-directional way, not just for the leader. The leader is saying, hey, here's the task, come up with a solution. And the person who's working on it feels like, okay, my leader trusts me to come up with a solution for this, and then comes up with a solution. And, and then you know, they have a constructive conversation about will this work or will this not work, and eventually settle to a solution that's going to scale up and, and, and work for, for the organization or for the solution. But, but I think to me, that's really important, uh, right? To be able to have the alignment and also uh, let uh, have the trust with the team and building the trust by letting them be on the driver's seat and us being on the, on, on the passenger side. Uh, you hit the nail on the head with the, with the trust stuff. Getting that trust built up, it's a whole other issue though, but it's, it is very important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember another, um, interview with somebody they had uh, uh, they were doing consulting in a restaurant business I won't name which very huge chain it is and uh, they had a female employee she was an exemplary employee but she didn't follow through with one step in the manufacturing progress she always put an extra squirt of ketchup on the hamburger nah. and no matter what the leader did she will not would not listen they was told it's very important that you follow the instructions like you said and like this is how you need to do it and she always changed it and the person brought in to do the consulting she said like you know I, something is wrong uh, let me try something and then you can fire her if if it doesn't work and she she asked her why are you adding an extra squirt of ketchup and she said it tastes better that's how i like it that's how people like it I said, listen, people are buying this at the drive-thru. You can give them as many extra ketchup packages, packets as you want. But if you put it in, they will eat it. They will spill it on their uh, dress shirts. They will have a, an awful day and they will not come back. And then the employee said, oh, I thought you guys were just cheap. <laughs> Lack of communication. <laughs> yeah, but she didn't have enough trust and uh, and right. and, and uh, to follow through with the orders or to raise up the complaint and right also management did not explain like why yes they wanted the, the that result like what was the why what was the the vision behind it what yeah. was the reasoning exactly. um and then what more getting back like to technology is do you find like there are there are a lot of managers that insist a lot on also delivering the how to do it is this something yeah. common 
Uh, it is. It's definitely quite common, especially when uh, you know you see a lot of uh, technical managers, right, who come up from uh, uh, being a software developer and then moving up to a uh, to a management role or to a leadership role. I think uh, it's, and I don't think it's always harm, harmful, right? Uh, I mean, I personally like to stay involved and inspire my team. Uh, by actively participating in in, in key projects, uh, but I think it it has to be the right balance, and it shouldn't cross the the trust line, right? Uh, but I definitely see that a lot happening, in especially in in uh, in pure technical teams. Yeah, and that's something that I also saw a lot, and I'm still seeing a lot. And it's, yep. it's usually the curse of you have a former technical person that was promoted to management. And then exactly. finally, they also have the power to implement the stuff they wanted to do when they were like in production. Right. Uh, and it's not always always good. And I, will, I always think like if you hire an electrician or um, somebody to do some handy work around your house, are you going to tell him how to do it? Just say like, this is what I want exactly. to get done. This is right. why I want it. Do it. And you pay exactly. at the end. You don't exactly. stay there and say like, use this wire, use this pipe, do it like this. I don't like how you're nailing stuff down. Or, <laughs> and it should be the same at work, in my opinion. Like, explain to people uh, if you have so, if you you have some hobbies or you like the domain, you know something, you can give your input. Maybe mm -hmm. so they will like it or not. It's it's up to them. But you should not uh, use your weight. <laughs> to get uh, your way basically done. Yeah, no, that's true. No, I had it, had this in a previous job a couple of years ago. A uh, technical person, uh, his firm got bought out. He was uh, put in, uh, got assimilated and he was put in charge of the development teams and we had dailies and it was the kind of person that uh, when he gave up tickets, he said, I wanted to do and went into very specifics. Uh, I wanted to put a string here and a data set there and stuff like this. And I was like, oh, wow, you have such a good grasp. Maybe you should do it. That wasn't what, what exactly. I was thinking. Exactly. Right. And it took me six months to convince the person, listen, you just tell me what you want to be done. I will think up how to do it. We will discuss it, and then we'll do. And in six months, we got to the point. We'll just have one meeting a week. I'll just tell you what the issue is. You write up the tickets, uh, assign the how much time it takes. Uh, so it, it's it's uh, it's frustrating at first, but if you keep at it, you can uh, you can uh, solve it. <laughs> exactly. I think the 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 one challenge that I've had personally is. Uh, you know, when you get, uh, when you move on in an organization to a new role and you see somebody uh, working in your previous role, right? You, you yes. It's very difficult for you to get out of that syndrome. It's like, I used to do it differently and this person is taking way longer than it needs to, right? <laughs> but, yes. you know, I've had that personal challenge myself where I was trying to reflect on I did this job and I know how I did this and this person is not doing it the way I, you know, it doesn't have to be this difficult. But then I, I said to myself, well, if I, if I try to tell this person to do exactly the way I used to do this job, what new factor is this person gonna to bring to the table 
it's going to yeah. run exactly the way it used to run the past two years when I was doing the job, unless you put, let the person think and probably come up with a new idea. Maybe uh, it, there was a flaw that I never saw in, 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 the, in, in the, the way I was delivering something. And uh, so I always uh, stay open. Now I kind of stay disconnected and I say, let the person explore and come up with their ideas and be open to, to those ideas. But it, it, it is a challenge. It's quite a challenge to look at something and go, I can do this faster and much more efficient, right? So delegation is not that easy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know someone who, who, who uh, found a solution for exactly that, this specific problem. Um, they did what they called uh, the butter up technique. I was like, butter up technique, what are you talking about? As I said, boss, you're working too hard. We're doing the same uh, task twice. You're doing it first and then I'm doing it second. Let me help you and take uh, some load off your back so you can focus on the big picture. And his boss was like, I cannot refute this because everybody likes compliments. Right. Like, I want to keep getting these, keep getting these compliments. I'm like, okay. Sounds like a plan. We'll do it this way. <laughs> That's interesting. Like Butter up. You move up like from an, from the position to another position. You wouldn't like the person that was was in your position, your, in your new position, to come all the time and say like, ah, "I didn't used to do it like this. You're doing it wrong." <laughs> right. So right. if you put yourself in the shoes of the other person, and say like, if somebody would come and tell me like, "I'm not doing." It, a great job in my new position, I wouldn't be yes. that happy about it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And since we're talking about new position, what are the top free, leader, free leadership tips you have for aspiring leaders? Uh, I think the first uh, one that I would say is uh, all new leaders, they should welcome opposing points of view. It's, uh, and it's kind of piling on to what we were talking about just now is, um, you know, better ideas and approaches, they can only be developed, only a leader is able to listen and learn from those opposing point of views, right? If you don't listen and learn from those opposing point of views, I don't think better ideas or approaches can then come out, right? So I, I think that's really important for somebody to welcome opposing points of views. And the second one I would say is, you know, be sincere and uh, own your mistakes. And we touched about it a little bit earlier. You know, as a leader, I think it's critical to own, own your mistakes, own our mistakes, uh, and to be sincere, right? This is, this is true not only for disasters that affect people's personal lives, but also for our everyday run-of-the-mill mistakes that happen, right? Uh, and uh, I think one of the things that I've seen is uh, if you start practicing owning small mistakes, it gets easier to uh, own the bigger ones, right? You get used to, to do that. Uh, and uh, if you remember the uh, BP oil spill, right, in 2010, the, oh, yeah. the Deepwater Horizon yes. issue, uh, you know, at that point, uh, the way it was handled back then by the leadership was not, not the prettiest. Right. It also got to a point where the delegation, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the actual press conferences to address the main crux of the issue was delegated to somebody else. Right. And I feel like that that was to me when I was watching that in my mind, I was thinking that's a total disaster. 
And it, it is for a leader to own up to that and come in front and make that, uh, make that as a commitment to be able to discuss and, and talk about all the points, uh, all the questions that are being raised to address them. So, so yeah, I think it's quite important to own your mistakes and be sincere about it uh, if you wanna be successful and be a, a true leader. And I think the third one I would say is, it's this to me is my pet favorite is, every, they have to, you know, one has to become master of communication, right? And, uh, and when I say effective communication, it's not just about expressing what you want to happen. It's also about being able to listen, truly listen to others, right? Uh, all great leaders, they're great orators, they're great storytellers, they're able to explain why, the what, and the how, you know? Uh, and uh, ability to express their ideas and strategies, I, I think in a very persuasive manner and clearly, uh, and also be able to truly listen to feedback with an open mind is quite critical to be successful. So yeah. I guess those are my uh, three points. Yeah. I, I for one really like the second one about being, owning up your yeah, mistakes. I was, was going to talk about that yeah, also. Which is really hard. And it's something that, in my opinion, like when you move into management, you're actually, you have like less security than you had when you were in production, in, in my opinion, because everything that goes wrong, you have to assume it yourself and say, look, if you need somebody to fall on a sword, I will be the guy to do it. And that's, right. that's one of the major ways you're going to build a lot of trust with the people that you're managing, basically, and you're leading. Because they know that you are going to have their back and they're going to trust you more and do better work. But you can, at any time that is required of you, basically you have to leave the organization if something goes right, even if it's your fault or not. It's your fault because you are their leader. It's not, Yeah. that's the presupposition. It's not like, if you try to shift the blame or anything else, it will not be good. Exactly. I think there is also a bit of a cultural issue um, that uh, prevents this uh, in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you're if you're familiar with the technical legal side of saying I'm sorry. If something happens that uh, can end up in court, if you say if you're polite and if you say I'm sorry, that is uh, admissible in court against you, which is why mm -hmm. a lot of people tend not never to say I'm sorry. They're like, they're scared because it's like an attack on their person. Right. Uh, right. Not that just there. It's in several countries. It depends. Like It depends on the, on the country. Right. I was just uh, yeah. pointing out the issue with, uh, with the U.S. legal right. system. But yeah, it's a big, right. it, it's, it's, you don't have to be infallible. Yeah. And it's hard. A lot of people tend to think like, if I failed in my uh, task, I'm a failure in my profession, and if, I, if I'm a failure in my profession, I'm a failure as a human being, which is, no, that's not how it's it not works. not true, right. It's not true at all. You, you, you can yeah. fail as much in your profession as you want. That does not impact your image as a, as a no, person. It's just a small part of you. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And like uh, if you don't fail, you don't evolve. 
right? You have to fail to evolve. And uh, I think everybody exactly. fails uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And the key is to learn from those and uh, evolve. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, speaking about learning and uh, failures, uh, I think one of the best way to get to the crux of the issue is through books. So yeah. if you would like to share with us the book that had the most profound impact on you, it can be from any field, doesn't matter. Yeah, so one of the books that I personally like a lot and I've uh, read multiple times is uh, the book from Sheryl Sandberg called Lean In, right? Uh, and I've read it multiple times because uh, to me, it's like a golf course, right? Every time you play a golf course, you score differently, you uh, end up in different play uh, spots and you, know, it's, you learn something different. And to me personally, that book is like that. I, I learn something different every time I read that. I pick up something new. Uh, but the, the, the main thing that I learned from that book, which I think it's, uh, remains with me for, uh, for a long time now, is that uh, uh, there's, there's a part that says that, you know, stop, stop trying to please everyone. Now, when, you read, when I read about that initially, I, I felt like, yeah, I, I hear this all the time. But... Uh, there was a, a, a statement that Mark Zuckerberg made to Sheryl Sandberg at one point, and it, it basically read that if you want to change something, when you want to change things, you can't please everyone. If you do please everyone, you're not making enough progress. Right? When I read that, it really made me think a lot. It's like, you know, every time you make a change, if you have to make a change, there are going to be people, there are going to be people who are going to be upset about it. There are going to be people who are going to love it, right? But we can't be afraid about the fact that certain people are not going to be happy about it. So I'm not going to make this change. I think uh, change is inevitable. It's change is the only thing that's constant. And when you as a leader, you have to be fearless. You have to be able to make those big changes as needed and not worry about pleasing everybody, uh, right? And uh, as part of the equation. So to me, that book is great. And that's my takeaway from that book is uh, don't try to please everyone and uh, be bold enough to make big changes. And Raj, I'm really curious, how did the realization that you don't have to please everybody, how did it impact your, your life and especially your career? Uh, I think, you know, we, we, uh, we have this uh, situation pretty much on a, on a day-to-day basis where you're, uh, or when you're making big changes or big projects are being implemented. Uh, I think when you are uh, a leader and you're thinking about, if I make this change, it's going to impact this person, so I should not be making the change. I'm, I'm thinking more from the point of view of, what will happen to a certain subsector of the end users and not thinking about the actual, uh, the, the positive impact of the change. So it's going to, uh, if I don't implement uh, a certain change, I'm actually, you know, staying back. I'm not actually innovating because I'm afraid of the impact that's going to happen to a, a, a section of either people or section of users or could be anything. But if, if, if what, what I learned personally is no matter what change you make, small or big, okay. the only way to do it is to actually implement the change and not worry about the fact that it's going to impact a certain 
amount of users, right? I mean, think through it, think through the fact that what's the positive impact going to be and go with that, discuss that, you know, always make sure the communication is in place or make sure that everybody's on board uh, and, and you're able to move forward, you're able to innovate, right? If you don't do that, and, and that was the thing, if you're, if, uh, like I said, if you're, if you're pleasing everyone, then probably you're not making enough change. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, would you say that it made you progress. more bold and take more bold actions? Yes. Right. Right. Definitely makes uh, made me bold and make made me uh, think about uh, concentrate about the change, not about the uh, the small sector of people or users or uh, you know areas that are going to be impacted. Think of the big picture and and uh, don't be afraid. Awesome. And I guess you got promoted a lot due to it. <laughs> if not they should promote you they should listen to this interview <laughs> and promote you asap tell them wow. those two guys from romina said i should get a promotion <laughs> uh, you know you guys are so kind <laughs> okay raj and if people want to find out more about you where should they go uh, you know, I'm not too active in social platforms. Uh, I try to, uh, keep my work life and uh, personal life a bit separated. Uh, uh if, if people want to know me or get to know me, uh, the way we connected LinkedIn is the perfect platform. I think it's a great platform for all the professionals. Uh, I've connected with multiple people, uh, who are outside my work, uh, just cause we, uh, uh, discuss on a certain topic uh, or uh, there's a common area of interest and we connected and uh, talked. That's exactly how uh, we met here as well. Yes. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn is the place to uh, connect with me. And um, yeah, that's about it. That's awesome. And we'll put a link to your profile on LinkedIn so people can more easily reach out to you and connect with you. Absolutely. And thank you for being on the show. It's been a true pleasure. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure to be uh, on the show with you guys. You guys are doing a really good job. I, I enjoy these podcasts. Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.